Well, we've gathered tonight to partake in the Lord's Supper. And as I thought about communion, in light of our current Sunday night series, I was wondering, does the Bible say anything about who is to administer the Lord's Supper? As we have started this series entitled Pastor and Church. And I don't find any specific instructions on who must administer it, but I do see principles in the Bible. And I want to just share those with you here that I believe hint at having somebody lead the Lord's Supper who is already in leadership. For example, Moses was the leader of the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And he is the one who gave the instructions that he received from God on how to prepare and to eat the Passover. Uh, Once the Levitical priesthood was established, it was the responsibility of the priest to sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord at the house of the Lord. Then, during the times of the kings, we see with Hezekiah, when he reigned over Judah, he returned them to observing the Passover, and the priests and the Levites needed to sanctify themselves to bring in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And then the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 30, 17, Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. And so we see that the priest played a pivotal, pivotal role in all of that. And then in the days of Josiah, he caused Judah also to return to keeping the Passover. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 35, 2, And he set the priests in their charges and encouraged them to the, to the service of the house of the Lord. And the charge continued in 2 Chronicles 35, 6, saying, So kill the Passover and sanctify yourselves and prepare your brethren that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And then after the captivity, we find in Ezra the priest's role once again in keeping the Passover. In Ezra 6.20 it says, For the priests and Levites were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren the priests and for themselves. And so throughout the Old Testament we find that the priests were the ones who were ordained by God to lead and guide the people through the observance of the Passover. And now if we fast forward to New Testament times, we would see that the night that the Lord instituted uh, this memorial supper that was replacing the Passover lamb celebration because Jesus is our Passover lamb, amen? amen, sacrificed for us. He is the one who led His disciples in breaking of bread and the drinking of the fruit of the vine. And then we find after the day of Pentecost, it says in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so though it's not expressly stated here, there appears to be a connection between the apostles' authority and the breaking of bread. And so therefore I would say there's no express command given in the New Testament with regard to who must administer the Lord's Memorial Supper. But I believe the principle would be that leaders in the church are the ones who should administer this table, which is why here we have chosen to have the pastor lead and the deacons serve. So that's just a little short pastor and church justification for tonight. Amen. So I realize when we come to the Lord's table and we talk about these things, it can stir up all kinds of debate. In some cases, it has caused great divisions among the brethren. There's even a stripe of Baptists largely built around this issue. 
I've had people who are moving into the area call me, and their one question is, where do you stand on the Lord's Supper? And that's the basis by which they choose their church, and whatever. I'm not here to knock their reasons. But I'm just saying it's a, it's a big issue for folks. That's their prerogative, and I'm not against what they're, they're doing. But some are what uh, is called uh, closed communion. We're only members of a certain church of, of, let's say, if we were closed communion, only members of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle are allowed to partake, no outsiders. Some are close communion, where if you're saved and baptized, and in a like-minded church, I should say, then you're welcome to partake. Some are what's called open communion, where they believe anyone present may partake. The last time we observed the Lord's Supper together, I made a point of breaking down those three. I'm not going to go into detail tonight, but I just want to say quickly on these points. Um, because the Lord is an, or, an ordinance instituted by the Lord, given to the church by the Lord to observe, I reject open communion. I think the Bible is clear that the Lord's Supper is only to be celebrated by saved and baptized believers. I personally do not ascribe to a closed communion position. I know some do. I'm not against any church or any individual who holds that position. I would never try to talk them down from their higher standard. I choose not to make that a source of contention. I believe the Bible more closely aligns with what we call close communion. I believe we find Paul, who was a member of the church in Antioch, partaking of the Lord's Supper with folks in Acts chapter 20 while he was in Troas. And so I don't see where there's a problem as long as there's a right heart and a right doctrine. And so as Paul was on his missionary journeys... Uh, he was partaking of these things as he went with other churches. So with that out of the way, if you're not a member here tonight, but you have been saved and baptized in a like-minded church, I have no problem with you partaking with us tonight. If you are visiting, I want you to do however your pastor would instruct you. If you're visiting from another church and your pastor says we're closed, then don't partake. Obey your, your pastor's leading. Don't go against what he would have for you to do. Is everybody clear with where I'm? Okay. Um, and so I don't want anybody going against their conscience, going against their home church. But if your pastor is okay with you partaking, then you're welcome to so long as you're born again and baptized. If you are not saved, and if you have not been baptized in a like-minded church, I would tell you not to partake tonight. In fact, if you're not right with God or with others, don't partake tonight. But I would like to use this observance of the Lord's Supper as an opportunity for you to get right with God. Get right with your brothers and sisters in Christ as it may be needed tonight. You see, some people have an opinion that the Lord's Supper should only be observed when everybody's right with the Lord. In other words, we're not even going to advertise we're having it until I feel like the Spirit's right within the church. I can see room for that if it's going to be just blatant rebellion. And then there is the mindset that I'm coming at this tonight, and that is we can observe the Lord's Supper with the hope of us doing a lot of self-examination and making sure that we are thoroughly right with God. And that's my hope tonight because I believe if we're going to see God do great things, we have to be right with Him and right with each other. The Lord gave two ordinances to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are ordinances. We do not treat them as sacraments. There are some religions that have sacraments and they use those to say these are the means that you can receive God's grace. They're channels of grace, if you will. 
Um, Catholic Church, I believe, has seven sacraments. Don't quote me on that. We're not treating this as a sacrament tonight. This is not necessary for salvation. These ordinances are set apart by the Lord um, not to be saved and not to remain saved, but they are for the saved to observe. And both of these ordinances point to Christ. And so why do we say baptism is necessary before one can partake in the Lord's Supper? Well, it's the pattern that we find in the New Testament. We find in Acts chapter 2, those who were saved and baptized were the ones who were added to the church. And then they were the ones who were breaking bread together. So if one's going to partake of the Lord's Supper, then they are identifying with the significance of Christ's sacrifice. And if you're going to rightfully do this, then you must have first identified with Christ in believer's baptism, which is really your first step of obedience after you've given your heart to Christ for salvation. It is to make your salvation public for all to see. Now, baptism is a one-time event in a believer's life. I know some may do it again later after maybe backsliding for some time. I'm not against that. But understand that it's, it's really a one-time event in a believer's life. We call it believer's baptism to distinguish what we do from other religions. An infant cannot rightly experience believer's baptism because they do not yet have the ability to call upon the Lord for salvation. So when you hear me say saved and baptized tonight, I'm talking about being saved first, then being baptized. Not being baptized as an infant or a child and then years later making a profession of faith. So with that being said, if you have never followed through with believer's baptism, then I would say to be on the safe side, do not partake tonight. But I would ask you to get with me afterwards and I'd love to set up a time to talk with you and get you dunked. Amen? It's one of my favorite things to do as pastor. The Lord's Memorial Supper, on the other hand, is an ordinance we observe throughout our Christian lives. There's no set time frame for how often we should observe the Lord's Supper. We only do it as we deem appropriate. It's called the Lord's Supper because He's the one who instituted it in place of the Passover of the Old Testament. It's called the Lord's Memorial Supper because Jesus commanded in Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19 when instituting this supper with His disciples, this do in remembrance of Me. It's a memorial. We'll come back to the remembrance part here in just a minute. But for now, I want you to go with me. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'd like to read verses 17 through 22. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye... Come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. The church in Corinth had several things out of line. And Paul writes to them to try to correct some of their erroneous practices. And we see here that one area was their observance of the Lord's Supper. He says in verse 17 that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. And in verse 18, we see that their first problem 
was there were divisions among them. And in verse 19, that there must also be heresies among you. You see, this church had some that they preferred over others. In chapter 1, Paul is addressing this, and he mentions how they had been divided into factions, and some would say, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. And then Paul asks the question there in chapter 1, is Christ divided? It is Christ who died for us. And Paul is saying, I didn't die for you. Was I crucified for you? Was I baptized? Were you baptized in my name? And and Paul lays it out there and he says, look, Christ is the one that was crucified for us and we're baptized in Christ's name. Why are we so worried about Apollos and Cephas and Paul? Is Christ divided? And because of their divisions, they were not fit to eat the Lord's Supper as we see in verse 20. But it was more than just factions. In verse 21, we see that they were bringing their own supper from home. Now obviously, some could afford more than others. Imagine if we did that and I brought in a, I don't know, 28-ounce porterhouse, amen? And poor Breck has sardines and crackers. He's newly married. He's probably poor. I don't know. (laughs) Some were stuffed. Others were still left hungry because there just wasn't enough. You know, they were bringing their own suppers and they weren't sharing. And and so this is, this is bleeding more over into just general eating as well, not just the Lord's Supper, but he's going to get in to the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. And so they were bringing in their own meals, and some could afford to bring more than others. Some were going hungry while others were drunken, or meaning they were well-fed and filled. And this is why Paul says in verse 22, Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Why you got to do this in church? This is why... Uh, He says, do you despise the church of God? You shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And clearly what they had done is they had corrupted the intent of the Lord's Supper. So in the verses which follow, Paul corrects them on the proper way to observe the Lord's Supper. And I want us to look at verses 23 through 26. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also He took the cup which He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come." And so now back to doing this tonight in remembrance of the Lord. What is it that we are to remember? Well, there's a number of things I believe we could apply and draw out. But I want you to notice in verse 26 that we see the past, the present, and the future. We show the Lord's death. That's what took place in the past. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that's what we're doing now in the present. Until He come, that's what will take place in the future. And so as we tonight at the Lord's Memorial Supper, we are remembering what Christ has done for us by looking back to His death upon the cross. He died in our place. He took our penalty and He took our punishment. We remember that Christ was forsaken by God when He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. As we consider what took place in the past, we understand that it has a huge significance in our present. Amen. We can have our sins forgiven today. 
We can be forgiven presently because of what Christ has done in the past. We can have fellowship with God today. We can have union with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't have to be divided. We can have rest and peace today because of Christ's finished work on the cross. And then we also look to the future. Christ is coming again. He's going to straighten all this out. He'll decide whether we should have been open, closed, or close. Amen. All right. He's coming again. This means we believe in His resurrection. If He's coming again, then He must have been victorious over death. He's also victorious over the devil. And when He comes again, it'll be as the lion and not as the lamb. And all of His enemies will become His footstool. The nations of this world will become the nations of our Christ. We also look forward to the day when we will partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 7-9 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And He saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And so what we find in Christ is that we have one sacrifice to meet all of our needs. We look back, we look now, and we look ahead. In Christ, everything is covered. Our past is cleansed. In our present, we can have fellowship. And looking ahead, we can have assurance of our future. Lastly, I would point out from verse 26 that what we observe only shows the Lord's death. This is a picture tonight. We do not believe in transubstantiation where some believe that the bread and the cup literally become the body and blood of Christ. We are merely showing His death in memorial form. By the way, why were there memorials in the Old Testament? Was it not so that the children would look at the fathers and say, what meaneth these things? And so parents tonight you know whether or not your child is ready to partake. And it could be that God wants you to make that stand so that they might look at you and say, what is the significance of what you're doing tonight? It's a memorial. It is meant to provoke thought among children to say, why do I not get to do this and you get to do this? Well, let me tell you why. Amen. Now, after correcting their error, Paul gives them a stern warning in verses 27 through 31. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And so we find that when we come to partake of the Lord's table, this is a time of self-examination. Don't be guilty tonight of partaking unworthily. Because if you do, the Bible says, you can bring damnation upon yourself. For this reason, Paul said in verse 30, that many were weak and sick among them, and some had even died. So you must examine yourself tonight. Are you truly in Christ? 
Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Are you living in obedience to Him? And finally tonight from our text, I would say, are you living in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? We are not to be divided. And the reason churches become stifled is because there's divisions within. And so what we need to do tonight is we need to take time to make sure we're right with our God and that we're right with our brothers and sisters. And so what we're going to do at this time is we're going to say goodbye to those on live stream and we're going to go to a personal time here as a church body to give you an opportunity to respond if the Lord has laid anything on your heart. Give you time for self-examination.